I am Lucas Mack, and I'm on a mission to see the hurting get healed and the healed go out and heal others in order for all of us to experience the true love and light we desire. This podcast is me sharing my journey with you so you don't feel alone in your journey. Welcome to the Golden Rule Revolution. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. I am Lucas Mack. Thank you for joining on this journey of seeing the hurting get healed and the healed go out and heal others. On this journey of reclaiming our sovereignty, on this journey of detaching from the matrix and going within and finding our connection back to the Most High God, the Creator, who has breathed life into each and every one of us, and it is us who hold that life dearly that are standing for everyone is standing for the world to reclaim their own sovereignty. And sadly, many have chosen differently. And it is those of us, it, it is those of us who are continuing to do the work, continuing to hold the line and continuing to hold space for others to heal that are the ones right now that are so desperately needed. And this is why I'm so excited to bring today's guest. Monica Gray, she is a trauma therapist. She is a dear sister of mine. She is so powerful. And this um, episode is not as long as I wished it could have been. And so we will do um, many more episodes after this. But this is a powerful story of Monica's, um, what she shares with clients, what she's seen right now in the world, and um, found out how we got connected in the first place. So it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful episode. Monica, thank you, dear sister. I love you and everyone enjoy. So everyone, like I just said, I'm so excited to have my dear sister on truly my sister. We met in a beautiful container um, and she helped me heal. We were there at a powerful weekend and I'm so excited to have you on. Um, I love you. It's yeah. good to see you. Thank I you. Know, I love you too. That was a divine appointment. Like I always truly, tell you, truly. it really was amazing. Um, you, you're just powerful. That's one of the things I talked about in the opening. You are incredibly powerful. And how did you get, tell, before we get into what you're doing now, trauma therapy and all the work you're doing, um, walk us through where you're from, where'd you grow up and, and how you got into being a trauma therapist. Okay. So I was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And then I came here when I was about two years old mm. and my mom is Brazilian and my dad is Ecuadorian. So it's actually funny how I ended up in the U S because it's actually a really cool story. My dad grew up in this little fishing village in Ecuador. And this is in 19, I think it was 19, I forget, but JFK Jr. started the Peace Corps. Mm. I think it was in 1955. So like all these people like were getting trained to be just dispersed out into the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there was this really young couple. They were like 23 and 25 years old. They were a married couple that did it together. And they got sent to Manta is the name of the little city in Ecuador. Wow. So it's like the tuna capital of the world. Wow. Um, cool. Yeah. So anyways, um, 
so they got sent there and my dad was like always he was a very intelligent guy mm-hmm. you know he was always like really smart he was like the top of his class he like started a revolution in his high school because the principal was like corrupt and like all this stuff and he already learned english wow. um, he knew some english and stuff so they like my dad really made an impression on them and my dad went to them one day and asked them if they would take him back with them because he wanted to get out of there and he you know he grew up his father died from tuberculosis when he was seven and he was the oldest of three boys so he was like the man of the house right because the dad died and he was the oldest and like if it wasn't for an uncle of his that sent bags of rice and beans to their house like they would have like starved right so so anyways like so they go they meet my dad and they wanted to bring back three people so my dad was one of them so they brought him back uh somewhere in the midwest i think it was like minneapolis or michigan maybe and the guy had a cousin who was like the dean of of a school uh northeastern university so then my dad like you know, went to school. He enrolled in the Air Force back then. Like if you did that, they would give you citizenship. He fought in Vietnam. Wow. Came back. So he became an engineer. And then they wanted uh, this big corporation in America that used to be called DEC, Digital Equipment Corporation. They wanted to start a South American division. So they sent my dad down to South America to start it. And so he started in Brazil. Yeah. So he lived in Brazil and he thought I speak Spanish, you know, like I can speak Portuguese, you know, because Brazil is the only non-speaking country in South America. And he's Uh like, they could understand me. I couldn't understand anything. (laughs) That's amazing. So he lived there for like six years. He became fluent, fluent in Portuguese. He could speak like a native. And um, that's where he met my mom. And then I was born and, you know, and then we moved to the U.S. So, uh, I basically, though, grew up in Southern California. So I moved to Southern California when I was five. So we first came here. We went to Massachusetts and we lived actually in Miami for like a couple of years. I don't really remember any of this. But then from California, I stayed there from five years old all the way up until 25 when I moved here to Florida. Wow. That's cool. I didn't know you had a little stint in Florida and now you're back in Florida. Yeah. That's a pretty cool story. Yeah. I know. That's cool. Yeah. So I grew up in Orange County. You know, which was an awesome place to grow up. Mm. Um, I love the California I grew up in. Yeah. It's a lot different now, but the California that I grew up in was so awesome. Mm. I loved it. Um, You also grew up in a Christian household, which same, same as me. And that's one of the things we connected on a lot of that language set in, in that world. How did, um, like, what was your view of spirituality and God growing up? Do you remember? Well, I hated it. I hated mm. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, my family was like really into it. You know, my grandparents grew up with us. So my mom brought them over from Brazil. Um, I mean, they were really, they were really cool because like they weren't really religious. Mm. Like they were like legit, like flowing with the love of God in them. Mm. You know, there was no legalism, like. 
and they were, ex- I think like other countries are just more open to things spiritually, but they, yeah. they have like all these miracles happening. You know, like my grandfather had this miracle of like, he, he never learned how to read. He had to start working when he was 14 years old growing up in, in like the outskirts of the city in Brazil. And like, he, they didn't become believers until they were older. But one of the, like the miracles that happened to him is that God like gifted him the ability to read, to, wow. to be able to read the Bible. Yeah. Wow. And like, I have these aunts and all, they see visions and they've experienced like, like cool stuff. But, mm. but in California, like, you know, I remember we were going to like a Spanish church, like a Baptist Spanish church. It was absolutely mm. horrible. I hated it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it at all. Mm. And, um, when I was a teenager, they still forced us to go and me and my little brother would ditch. Like there was like a little, we'd be like, bye. You know, they'd go to like the big <laughs> adult church and then yeah. we're going to go to like the kids and we're like, okay, see you after service. And we would just like go around the corner and just sit there and hang out. Like yeah. I hated it. Mm. I was not really interested in it at all, which mm. in a way I think is an important part of a person's walk. Mm. because you're just spoon fed it when you're little, you know, and you're believing something because your parents are telling you that you should. And so to, to kind of like reject it or walk away from it at one point to come back and choose it for yourself, Mm. I think is important. So that's what ended up happening to me. I, I was like, not interested. I thought it was boring. I, you know, yeah. Until, until I, I had my son, um, and then I started to, I actually researched, I looked into everything. Mm. I, I researched about Buddhism, about, um, I Catholicism. I never had a lot of uh, experience with, and I just wasn't interested in it. I kind of just already thought it was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked into Judaism. I, yeah, like pretty much all the different world religions. And then I, I chose, you know, Yeshua, although my, my faith has really changed a lot, I probably don't believe in a lot of the mainstream Christian stuff, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. what I, it's a little bit different as I'm learning yeah. more and yeah. stripping yeah. back things and getting back to like the raw authentic, you know, of like the movement of what it was the way. Yes. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely been a journey in that sense. It's amazing. Do you, uh, just everyone listening, uh, Monica just said Yeshua, which is the which is the Hebrew word for salvation or God saves, which is what Jesus's real name was. Or in English, it would be Joshua. This is the thing I don't understand. No one has a Hebrew name and an English name and a second English name that there's nothing connected to the English name of the Hebrew. So you have uh, Modest Yahoo, you have Matthew, you have Joshua, you have Yeshua or Yeshua, you have Joshua. But they call them Jesus, which is interesting. And I had this guy on the podcast, um, Ali Sadatan, and I asked him, does Jesus mean hell Zeus, Jesus? Because Zeus, the Suez Canal spelled backwards as Zeus. Everything is Zeus. The world is revolved around Zeus, which well, we have these cool bird plays. Yeah. It's, it's like really interesting. Isn't it fascinating? All the words yeah. that connect the reading it forwards and backwards and everything's spelling and we write cursive cursing and what you write manifests. And um, even the vision board you have behind you manifesting from words and, and vision. 
Um, so I just think it's beautiful that you said Yeshua because that's what his name is. So it's very beautiful. Yeah. I love Judaism. I love it. You know, yeah. it's sad that a lot of modern day Christianity, it's been stripped of like any of its <clears throat> Jewish roots, you know, and it's, there's so much richness in it. Yeah. That I think we're like missing out on a lot. Right. Yeah. Do you, so how did you go um, when you were in back in Florida, getting into being a trauma therapist? How, how did that route go? So um, I was a stay at home mom for a while. Mm. And um, when I moved here to Florida, I remember like in California, it was a little bit different where kids, the kindergarten in California isn't like a full day like it is here. It's like a, like a short day. So I remember when I moved here, I, I was assuming it was kind of the same. And so my, you know, I have two kids. So my youngest was going to go into kindergarten. And then when she was going to be gone the entire school day, just like my son, who was eight when we moved here, um, I was like, oh, my my time was kind of cut short and I found myself in a new city, you know, I didn't know anybody, um, you know, like no friends yet. And, and I ended up like, it just was really kind of like lonely sitting at home when my kids were at school all day, you know, just kind of like, what do I do with myself? You right. know? Right. So, um, I, so I got into real estate because mm-hmm. <clears throat> The reason why we even moved is just because California was so expensive and we had, we were a young family, you know, we had two young kids and it was so expensive and we just wanted space for kids to like run around outside, Mm, you know? So that's why we moved. But then everybody else kind of had the same idea because I was like, you guys, it's so cheap out here. Like, oh my gosh, what you can afford is like, I was like a kid in a candy store out here, you know? So all these people started coming over. And I was like, all right, hold up. Let me get my real estate license. <laughs> yeah, you know? really. So I did. Yeah. And like all the, I mean, I can't even, I don't even know how many people came. And then I had people just investing out here too. So I did that. That was really fun. I loved it until the crash. Mm, yeah. You know, so then it was like, and at that time I was going through a divorce too. So I found myself kind of like in a survival mode, like, okay, here's the economy just completely crashed. Mm. Real estate is dead. Right. And so I just started surviving. So I just like, I did real estate and then I got into mortgages and then I got into loan modifications because everyone was upside down in their house. And then I got into homeowners insurance and I was just surviving to where I was like, all right, Mm. I need to figure out what I want to do. I need to figure out what is it that it's not really like work to me, you know, and I can, I can make good money, you know? So I like sat myself down and I was like, what is it that I want to do? So I, I went back to school and it wasn't like apparent to me. It wasn't like at the very beginning, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. It just kind of meandered there, Mm. you know? And so, yeah, I went all the way through. I started at 30 years old with nothing, went back to school, took me 10 years to do it because, well, actually a little less than 10 years because I was a mom and had a work full time and, you know, like, so yeah, I did it. And then from there, I just, I worked in treatment centers because we're like the capital, you know, number one place for that right here. Mm. And I just loved working with 
that clientele. I loved it. They were beautiful. They were so raw and so beautiful. And then I started to see that like, you can't just treat the symptom, you know, like you have to get to the the root of it. And so then I started learning how to do that. And I got really good at being able to get to the root issue right away. Hmm. And so, and a lot of therapists, it's funny, it's like they're scared of trauma. A lot of therapists are like, you know, I don't know. I guess if you like don't really <clears throat> you have a lot of trauma yourself and you don't deal with it, it's going to be hard to yeah. sit with people in their traumas, you know, Yeah. especially if it's triggering you. Right. So, um, <coughs> so yeah, that's what kind of that's what kind of got me there um, to specialize in trauma is mm. because it's like it's kind of the root of everything. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Like any kind of maladaptive thing or addiction has to do with that all of it all of it so i say in my ted talk we need to stop um judging people's behavior because behavior is only a byproduct of an internal belief system and when you're when we experience trauma if we're abused in any way shape or form our belief structure of ourselves gets skewed and then the behaviors reveal that skewed internal belief system so yeah it's a the trauma yeah, that- what I always what I started to see too is that every behavior makes sense in context. Mm. No matter how crazy you think someone else is, or sometimes people think like I don't understand why I do that. If you find the context, yeah. which is the truth, right? It's like mm-hmm. everything makes sense. Out of context, nothing makes sense. Right, right. You know, so that's what I do is I help people find the context of mm-hmm. like, let's take a look at what it is, you know, and, and that's a whole process in itself because people sanitize it, you know, they, they, or, you know, they start breaking these rules that we grow up, the, you know, these rules of dysfunction of like, we don't talk about things. We don't, we don't talk, we don't feel, we don't trust. Right. 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 And then now we're going to break those rules. We're going to talk, we're going to feel, and we're going to trust. Mm. And so That's just really getting people to do that to like, all right, let's go back and look and let's not sanitize it. It is what it is. Yeah. Right. We're not going to make it sound worse than it was, but we can't sanitize it either. Right. And let's yeah. just go back and look and like, and see, let's see what the context is. And that like, gets really hard to do that for your own life. I mean, I can't really do that for my own. You know, I need other people to help me see that because when you're in it, you can't see, you don't have that objectivity. Right. But then we start to look at certain things. And then what we find out is like, and this is kind of my mission in life. Everybody has trauma. It's just a matter of how much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like that's kind of my mission in life is to normalize and de-shame mm, trauma. I love it. I love it. Last night I was teaching a course, um, Dawn of Masculinity, and I had these beautiful men, successful in their own fields. And we we're just talking about, you know, weeks ago in the course, last night was week nine. So week three, we talk about the painful things that are said to us by people that become our own narrative if we don't get it out and reject that narrative. So um, like at men's retreats, one, one beautiful brother that came, his mom called him fat and said, no fat boy will ever get a wife. And I'm like, think how horrible, 
painful that is. So we were talking about last night, these men, both their fathers said horrible things to them as minded as many I find do. And I said, think about what they said to you. And you were a little boy looking for the love and affirmation from this father figure. And this father says horrible things that if that man said it to anyone else, they would destroy relationships that no one would even get punched in the face. Punched in the face, they would get fired. They would certainly not get promoted in their corporate career if they heard the words that came out of their mouth directed to these little boys to anyone else. That is trauma. They didn't have to be beat. They didn't have to be molested or raped or or abandoned. Just painful words. Yeah. that's trauma. People just don't understand that it's okay. We've all, I think God intends us to go through trauma. I talked about this the other day. Like we, God says, all right, here's the story. Here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's all playing out. Here's who's going to do the trauma. And you get this We, I really believe we get to see it all so that we can go in and be the hero of the story and that nothing has happened to us. Everything's happened for us. And then the perpetrator played the perfect role and we played the perfect role. It's like a blessing to us. Like we were the heroes. We're the chain breakers. We're the cycle breakers. We're the ones that are the true light bearers of this world. But when we don't understand the trauma, every person experiences trauma in, intentionally, then it becomes this like subset of society. It's like, oh, the drug addicts or the porn addicts or whatever addict. And it's like, no, everyone's addicted to something exactly that like let's like normalize that right Right. like right yeah you've got process addictions right which is anything that's not connected to a substance so you've got like screen addiction yes okay there's like most of the population you've got food addiction shopping addiction Mm -hmm. gambling workaholism perfectionism yeah you know like that like puts all of us in the same boat right we're all in the same boat. And even avoidance. Some people are addicted to avoiding. <laughs> They're just like, they'll do anything to uh, right. go through all the categories. Just I so mean, the, the drug addicts in a way, like this is what I used to tell people in treatment, in a way is a blessing in disguise because drugs will just like torpedo you really fast. Mm. Where workaholism, I mean, you could do that forever. Mm. You know, and our society kind of rewards that. You know what I mean? But then you're, if you have like a family, you know, you like people, you know, like you're, you're not, you don't, they're usually have a, a hard, like personal life, you right. know, work on right. it's like their whole, you know, so it's just like, it's not going to torpedo you because pain is a lot of times our greatest teacher and it helps really wake us up. But if you're high funk, you're able to be like a high functioning addict. It just right. goes on and on, but it sucks the quality of your life out It's and it's, all the joy. It does. It's so ridiculous too. Like what, um, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up, uh, hardcore. That's all I can say. When my wife met me, we were dating. She's like, are you a fundamentalist? And no one had ever asked me that. And this is after I attempted suicide in my life. I went hardcore in the paint. Like I, I really went hard. I would pray two hours a day. I'd bring a towel out with me to a field. And, and I was listening to this preacher said, no man's greater than his prayer life. If you're not praying, you're strained. If you're strained, you're playing. And I'm like, Oh my God, I got to pray more. And so, and then I was reading this stuff, like Jesus asking his disciples, could you not, uh, uh, pray one hour? I'm like, okay, one hour. Jesus is talking about an hour of prayer. So I'd go, I'd go hard in the pain. Well, it was always interesting in the church. I was 
never meant to stay in that world. I was just like, like this bull in a China shop and I was blowing things up and uh, calling things out. And, but I was angry and I was hurting myself. I was trying to figure out like, why did this world does not reflect the peace that I am truly seeking? And one of the things that I find in religion, it, you said drug addicts are so in a way it's the, the blessing because it's, it's the visual um, addiction. And I don't want to deviate too far, but I always find that the church world that attacked homosexuality. So I'm going to deviate, but there's a parallel to this thing there. I'm like, these pastors are preaching against this or, you know, they're preaching against the fruit. Like you were saying like the, the behaviors, but it the wasn't symptom. the yeah. symptoms. Right. And I'd always go back to there's a, these verses in the Bible. It says these six things that the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. a proud look. A lying tongue, shed innocent blood, a heart that yeah. abides with wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to run into mischief, and false witness to speak his lies, and he that sowed discord among brethren. So the number one thing we should be in the church preaching about is pride. Nothing else. Like the first thing God hates is a proud look. And the first thing I think we should be talking about in healing is trauma and addiction. And like, so my point of being in all this is, it's so easy to judge what is seen like, Oh, the homosexual community, like who cares? They're, they're hurting people. Everyone's hurting. I'm hurting the straight gay. It doesn't matter like where we're coming from in this angle. Every human being has trauma that we get to heal and trauma that we get to hold space for and, and trauma that we get to help them acknowledge. I think so many people are like, I'm not, I didn't experience trauma because they look at maybe my story or something that had worse happened. And like, uh, it was, I didn't have it that bad. And I'm like, you had it as bad as you were supposed to have it so that you could break your lineage, your lineage cycle, whatever it is. Yeah. And what people don't realize, like, you know, trauma for a long time was like such a, you know, like big word, you know, but, but there's different kinds of trauma, you know, there's, there's covert trauma too. So like that example that you gave of that guy and what his father said to him, mm. um, that's how most people think of trauma. They think of it as like something bad that happened right? that shouldn't have happened. Right. Well, there's another kind of trauma and that's where good things that should have happened didn't happen. Mm. So that means like that kid should have gotten somebody who was like, honey, are you okay? Yeah. Like, you know, like is, you know, what happened today at school? Oh, well, people were making fun of me cause I'm fat. And it's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, putting a hand on the back, yeah. like yeah. giving support, attuning, recognizing you know helping a kid like identify emotions and pulling it out of them right because as a kid when you have big emotions you don't know how to deal with it that's what you need your parents for is to help you right deal with big emotions and help you you know feel them and identify them and things like that and so just that attunement mm. and then the welcoming of tell me what's going on with you, yes. right? So that's the talking. And then if you're emoting, it's okay. Mm. So many families, they're like, oh, feelings. Like, no, 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 no. We don't do feelings, yeah. right? Nobody says it, but like you get the picture growing up in a family like that of like, oh, no, no, no we don't do feelings. You, that's right. something you do in your room. You go away, 
you have your feelings. And then when you can slap a smile back on your face, you can come back out, <laughs> you know, like I've had to break down my just recently in the past, I feel like four months because I would, I'm just, you know, we're going through it. Lauren's like, cause I'd be like, if you want to cry, totally go cry, but go cry in your room. <laughs> I'm not really ready. Lauren's like, no, you don't, you don't send them away to uh, cry. And I was like, okay, yes, you're right. Why in me am I feeling uncomfortable to hold space for them? It has not, they're little babies. They don't have their prefrontal cortex fully developed. They can't process what they're doing. And I know. And that's the thing. That's what trauma does to you, right? It's like, it's really hard to give something that you never got. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but that's where the healing is. That's why like our kids are like, yes, like little teachers, yes. you know, full yes. of wisdom and, you know, and, and do you, so do you see how, like, as, a, as children, you're really connected to your gut, you're really connected to your emotions, mm. right? And we learn how to suppress yeah. and how to hide, Yeah, you know, yeah. like when, when you're little, you're just naturally, I mean, if a kid is, you know, if a two, you get lollipop taken away at two years old, you're going to have a temper tantrum. Right. You're going to, you're like, you don't, you know, you feel your emotions as they come up yeah. in real time, you know, and then we like lose that. Mm. You know, that's why I love it when I hear that quote about like healing is about unbecoming. It's unlearning. Mm. Yes. Yes. All the things, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, you know, Emily has this awesome little, you know, they like to give out little maps and stuff in that mm. space. So one mm. of them was like, it's a return to innocence. Yes. But with wisdom wisdom yes because I, in childhood you're innocent but you're naive and you're gullible and you're easily manipulated right 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 so healing is like you return to that innocence but with the wisdom no you're no longer like naive and gullible and easily manipulated mm. i love that which is why i think jesus said unless you become like a little child it's becoming oh. it's the undoing the unraveling to become the little child again where our inner child and our adult self is fully integrated where we have, yeah, I love that. The is innocence with wisdom is in a sense, holiness. It's beauty. It's, it's grace. It's all the, it is it's flow. It's, it's such, everything is so beautiful. I want to bathe in that concept of innocence and wisdom. It's so beautiful. Yeah, um, but you wonder why kids are so targeted, you know, because they have that, yes, that yes. beauty and that innocence and that so trusting. And it's such a, mm -hmm. I'm in this place right now where all this is um, 10, we have a 10, eight, six, and then a seventh month old. Um, and my oldest wants a phone and she's the only one, she's the only one. That in their whole oh, school, yeah, the whole, yeah. the whole world, Dad. I'm the only one, and we talked about um, we talked about innocence, and we talked about purity this past weekend, and and being a child and not having the cares of the world, and and I also understand the desire to stay connected. She wants to talk to her friends and stuff, but what I told her today is, I said I was thinking about like how do I share this with her. And I have a quote at my company. I had these um, virtue sayings that we would hand out um, to all our employees. But one of them, this quote that I came up with was, just because you stand alone doesn't mean you're wrong. It could mean you're first. 
And what I want her to understand, what I want everyone to understand is like to break the cycle or to she's breaking a cycle where the whole tide is going access to the worst things imaginable. I cannot even fathom being a child access to what they have access to today. It's, I mean, no grown men that are struggling with these things, let alone a little child, like access to, to all of it. But I said, but she's breaking the cycle. She's going to stand for other kids to come out of this digital matrix addiction. That's just compounding upon compounding. And I said, so you are going to be the first. It doesn't mean you're wrong. You will get a phone eventually. But right now you're holding space for these girls to remember the youthful innocence, the playfulness, to pretend again, to stay, stay a child, not to, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just crazy what is going on. So cycle breaking in the innocence of the children is so, it's just, it's so, it's so, it's so precious enough to protect it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a kid, you know, it's like their job kind of as a kid is to like push, you yeah. know, and yeah. test limits. Yeah. And, and it's so like love has to come with limits, you know, and there's mm-hmm. even like a lot of studies that have come out that have said that kids who grow up in households that are really high in structure and high in nurture are the ones that do the best. If you have another combination like high on structure, low on nurture, not good. And same with the other high on nurture, low on structure, not good. Mm-hmm. But having both um, is really good. And I and I love it. In family therapy, there's like a cute, there's a cute saying that I always liked that said, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Hmm. So if you yeah. just have like rules, but there's no... It's just like, it's the authoritarian, like, cause I said, and it's my way and yeah. that's it. Right. Like there's no context. There's no, like, listen, my sweet, you know, girl, yeah. the reason why is because I love you and I care about you and I, I want to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, there's, you know, like, I understand this is what everybody else is doing, but it's actually really not that good for us. It's not good right. for you. Right. It's not good for them either. Right. So when that relationship is there, the rules are much more easily. Yeah. Palatable. palatable. Yes, totally. Yeah. yeah. And they're, um, I mean, it's so crazy just to talk about her experience. There's a furry in her a class where she's like, do you know what a furry is? I was like, yeah, I know what a furry is. I was like, does, I go, does everyone play with it in the class? She's like, what? And I was like, I thought she was saying Furby. I was thinking Furby. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. No, so what is furry, that now? A furry is a child who thinks it's an animal and acts as the animal throughout the day. So this child, this girl in her class is a dog and bit another child the other day. And I was like, this is, this is craziness. So thankfully... I have the contrast of this, how far the craziness could go. And my daughter's like, oh yeah. And like the world's just, it wants to do everything to, and you know, that child, the furry, that's probably her protective mechanism to whatever's going on. And I mean, that's a wild dynamic. Uh, that's what it's like, going to come to though. It's going to be like, I feel like a dog on the inside. So I am, you know, it's yeah, like, it's, how far do we want to take this? You know, like. 
It is. We can take this. We can take this pretty far, you know. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, yeah, it's wild. Um, do so. Um, how? And I don't know how much you want to talk about it, but how did you keep gr- growing in your own personal development where you got in, you started learning about other modalities and like, I don't know if you want to talk about where we met, just how your journey of learning and healing and different modalities, how has that helped you in the work that you're doing? So, so one of the things, um, yeah. So kind of the, one of the ways that led me to where, how, where you and I met is, um, well, I've always been a really big reader ever, ever since I was a little kid, you know, even when I was a little kid, I would read these like sweet Valley high books and I would drag my kid, my dad to the bookstore to buy me the next one, you know, cause it was like all in sequential order, yeah. um, all through high school, you know, I, I read, I always loved to read, um, that kind of turned into like self-help books mm-hmm. probably like around third like probably around the time i went through my divorce when mm-hmm. i was around 30. um and so like i've just been like reading and reading and reading and it's i always it's, it's so i always say god speaks to me through books mm. always because it'll get me on a, like a rabbit trail that would lead me here and that leads me here and that leads me here so yeah. um so there's a couple of people that I started listening to and I really, really liked. So mm-hmm. when I was in the addiction, the whole treatment center world, there's this guy, I don't know if you ever heard of him. His name is Dr. Gabor Mate. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. Oh, right. And the way that I am, I kind of have an addictive personality myself, right? So like when I get onto something, I just like inhale it until mm-hmm. I've got everything and then I'll that that will lead me into something else and then i'll just kind of like so i was stuck on him for like a while like the stuff that he was saying you know even about like addiction you know he's like the addiction is not the problem the it's not why the question isn't why the addiction the question is why the pain that's you know and that your addiction is an attempt to solve a problem Mm. you know and so it works Right. It works at first. The problem is it's not, and this is what he says, it's not a long-term solution. <laughs> like it doesn't work long-term. It works yeah. immediately, but not long-term. It causes more problems eventually than what it's solving. Mm. So when I started like listening to him, he is really into plant medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he would um you you could like go with him down to Peru to do ayahuasca ceremonies. And at that time it was like five grams. So I yeah. was like, hey, that's so expensive, you yeah. know. So it was something that I was like, all right, you know, like he was saying how it it just has this amazing ability to really help with trauma. It brings the trauma kind kind of to the forefront. It kind of shows it to you, but in a really, you know, um, non-judgmental way, you know. And so that's what got me started and looking into that. Mm. And I just happened to mention it to my acupuncturist (laughs) i was like you know uh i I don't know why i mentioned it i just it just came up you know and i was like yeah you know i'm kind of thinking like i want to try ayahuasca i've been hearing a lot of stuff about it there's a lot of research right now in psychedelics and she was like 
oh yeah she's like i know these two women mm. who have an amazing space and mm. they do that but it's different it's not the tea that makes you really sick and it's really hard on your body it's a chocolate form and it's really you know a lot easier on your body there's no really there's no like throwing up all night there's none wow. of that stuff and i was like oh wow she's like yeah if you're interested i could give you you know i have she's like i have to check with them first get yeah. their permission and then you know i'll pass the information along so she wow. did it's amazing and uh it took me a while because i was like kind of scared you know yeah um, yeah i wasn't scared of like the actual experience i was more scared about if it was like permissible mm. on mm. on like uh you know, in a spiritual way, if I'm like not opening up a door, that's gonna, yeah. but I'm not supposed to open, you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was really scared, but where I kind of landed on that was, um, you know, when you look at the world and, you know, like I've, I've always had beef with the pharmaceutical industry, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like to me, that stuff is a really dark energy. You know, it's all yeah. about profit. They don't really care about people. They want to make you a lifelong yeah. patient yeah. that never cures you, right. you know, and then you right. can't get off of it. Right. You know, if you get off of it, you're going to have delusions and have like, you know, and yeah. it's just like really hard to get off of that more so than, than street drugs. It's like the hardest stuff to get off mm. once you go down that path. Mm. You know, so where I landed on that was like, you know, Hashem has made such a beautiful planet for us. It literally has everything we need. Everything. You know what I mean? Yes. From the air we breathe to the water we drink to the food mm -hmm. that we eat, mm -hmm. to, you know, like natural hot springs to help with joint pain or like whatever the like hot springs like mud you can put on your body that has all these minerals and elements in it like to all these herbs that help with like all different kinds of stuff in the body and then we have this beautiful plant yes that yeah. helps with the mind and with you know um mm. and so that's where i landed you know god created everything yeah. and he said that everything was good yeah yeah so that's right it's so beautiful the, um, my experience was going to therapy every single week, sometimes twice a week for two years. I never missed a week and I was able to heal more in 12 hours, um, on the plant than I was in those two years. And looking back and all the journey that I've been doing since 2016 of healing, the only way to truly heal is to be out of ego and, and when the ego is dropped and so plant breath work, um, experiential modalities to be back in. That's one of the things that really helped me heal is the experiential healing, um, going back into these memories and reenacting a lot of, um, the things, but plant mess, it was the most delicate healing, safe, beautiful space. And, where we are right now is like we the world has split in this matrix machinery inhuman inorganic black box uh graphene on, like it is just collecting like the board everything it can and it's stripping all life 
resources, goodness, beauty, truth. And then there's like, oh, people are breaking out of this thing, God. And then we're waking up to, wow, like you just said, the earth has everything. Everything. There's nothing that we need to be sold. <laughs> There's nothing that we have to buy the earth. Even dandelions. I've gotten into um, dandelions. Exactly. Like, dandelions heal so much. And like, why do they kill? They call them weeds and then they spray all the chemicals. They demonize out. them. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I wonder why. You know what? Sometimes you wonder, like, hmm, right. <laughs> you know, like, it's there's no so natural hurting. things. You can't patent them. Right. Right. Exactly right. Healing, healing and health have no like profit in it. Right. right. So, right. yeah, I agree. And I, I've always been that way, though. Like this idea that I like to go back to the authentic, raw thing. Mm. You know what I mean? I did that with Christianity. Like, I don't want the like, you know, I want to strip it back to the, it's original, Yeah, you know, like yep. what's the raw, authentic thing. You know, I did that with food too. You know, like what are these Franken foods? This isn't even real food. Like if it's not grown out of the ground, hanging from a tree or a plant yep. or, or an animal, right? Yep. Like it's not real. Right. It's, it's just not, it's, it's made in a lab, right. you know, and same with the pharmaceuticals, you know, it's like, it's made in a lab. Yeah. No, you know, like we need to get back to like the further we go away from nature, you know, even like sleep, like we're, we're off the circadian rhythm because there's yeah. so much light, you know, and, and our bodies aren't, you know, everything is out of whack. And like, we think we're so sophisticated with all this technology, but like we're screwing ourselves in the process, you know, yeah. like we need to go back to how the original, cause it's, it's in harmony, mm -hmm. you yes. know, like yes. it's in balance and it's in harmony until you start adding in all this artificial stuff, right. you know, no wonder why we're so sick. Right. Right. As, as a civilization, you know, do you, have you uh, like all the work that you've done yourself and then working with your, your clients, is there some extrapolation that you can say that we're, are we moving into this place of healing? It feels like we, there's so many healers right now and there's so much beauty that's coming and people are healing. But then you're, then I look at the other and then it's like, sometimes I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're screwed. <laughs> like it's so crazy. But do you feel like that you're able to see some thread of goodness that's coming through all this? Yeah. Yeah. What yeah, do you, I do. Yeah, like there's always a there's always a cycle. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's just, you know, just the, just look at look at the earth and the way that everything is. You know, there's always a cycle. There's a cycle right. of death and there's right. decay and death, and then there's rebirth. You know, like even the planet, like, trust me, like, I don't think we could take out the planet. The planet will take us out yeah. before yeah. we take it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just never going to happen. It'll right. recalibrate itself. And we've seen this. I mean, I guess I guess like the 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 scariest my mind ever gets is that like civilizations rise and they fall, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and like America has been you know, the superpower and the one on top, but like yeah. we can see that we're declining. Right. 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 Yeah. And so, I mean, but ultimately I think that's where, you know, like if you believe in, in something bigger than yourself, that 
that has intelligence and is is actually holding everything together and is in control, mm. then that's where I can lay my head at night and yeah. be in peace. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, nothing's happening that is not authorized. Right. Right. Beautiful. The one of the things I saw this um speaking of the earth <laughs> being able to take us out or wipe us out. Um, I was watching this. One of the deepest rabbit holes is Crater Earth. And I don't know if you've if anyone listening, if you've learned, if you've uh, researched Crater Earth, but there's this guy who came up with this theory and it is fascinating. And um, it's on YouTube and lots of different spinoffs of this guy's theory. But what he explains essentially is um, like the body will feel if there's like an infection in the body, it fills it with water. We, you know, pus or whatever it turns out to be, but really it's the body flooding the infection with water. And he said the earth, the floods of the earth were actually the same thing. The earth flooded itself to cleanse itself of whatever was going on at the time. And uh, so, yeah, the earth can definitely take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. Um, what, so we got a few minutes left. Do you, I know we talked about a course and I know you're doing a lot of stuff you're um, working on. How can people connect with you, reach out to you and do you do remote work or are you just in person? Like how does, how does it work for your healing? Yeah, no, I do in person. I, I always did. I never stopped. Mm. Um, I was like one of the few therapists in the area that was still doing in person the whole time, all through the pandemic. Awesome. Um, but I also do remote. Um, and the name of my practice is called sacred ground practice. So that's my website, awesome. sacredgroundpractice.com. Um, so people can reach out to me there, but yeah, you know, my, my, my thing, you know, it's kind of always, you know, it kind of changes like what I'm doing at that time. So when I first started out, you know, I was in addiction and, and working with that population. And then from there, I started working with women mm. and um, women who were in not really like obvious abusive relationships. It was more like just emotionally destructive mm. relationships. So it was kind of like hard to tell because they're not like getting hit right but there was like still abuse but now i'm kind of shifting to working with men cool yeah awesome. because i me and you like we kind of and i i wasn't going to do this before where i'm going to work with men you know because mm -hmm. i i there's a part of a belief that i have is that men make men women mm -hmm. don't make men you know, men make men. Yeah. And, but now I've just been getting a lot of men in my private practice who Hmm. How do I put this? Like they need a, a, a unique uh, perspective you know, and it is something that I can offer. And and this is always like, it always comes out of personal experience too. like whatever I, we teach the most what, you know, like what we need to learn ourselves. Yeah, and yeah. so part of using what I just went through over the last three years, mm. you know, it's like kind of coming 
because you know I, I have a belief about our traumas that like it wasn't for nothing right 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 it wasn't for nothing mm. and so now i can take some of that and i have a very uh specific experience and and perspective that i didn't have before that i'm starting to use more mm. now in my private practice and I, I don't like really advertise that much you know besides having a website and a psychology today profile a lot of the business that i get is from word of mouth or mm. um you know treatment centers that i've worked in the past that they remember me when i was a group facilitator or a emdr therapist there so they'll mm. send send me people but i'm just getting a lot of men right now mm. and they all have the kind of the same issue and so, which is, you know, I don't really believe in coincidences, but like, mm. I'm really, you know, able to really help these guys just based on what I've been going through. Amazing. And I really believe when men heal, the world heals because men are the container, the masculine energy is the container for the feminine to dance in. And with the broken masculine has been a broken container in this world. So yes. you helping the men heal allows us all to men or women, just all of us to drop our walls. And like, I know. And we, me and you talked about that night. If men heal, everybody heal. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. I love it. Hmm. I love you. Thank you for coming on and doing this and sharing. Um, I will put your information in the show notes. So everyone, please connect with Monica. Even just tell her thank you because she's a beautiful soul and I love you. And, and I get to see you next month. Yes, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be oh, going to so, be powerful. I know. I love you too, Lucas. You're um, such a beautiful soul. Well, I'll make sure to put Monica's information in the show notes. Please follow, connect with her, reach out to her if you need support. You are not alone in this journey, dear brothers and sisters. We are watching the timeline split right now. We who are the light continue in the light. God is light, and in and in Him there is no darkness at all. And it is those of us who choose to walk in the light, to walk in the love of the most high that are walking in a way that other people are looking for support. And it is us right now during this time. And Monica is an amazing sister and an amazing example of someone that's doing that every single day. So I bless you, dear sister. I bless each and every one of you for watching. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to this. And as always, please share, like, subscribe, send this podcast out because there is someone right now who is in the depth of darkness, looking for support, looking for a hand, a kind word, or just your presence to lift them out of that. And we are that light. So I bless you all. Thank you. I am Lucas Mack. This is the Golden World Revolution, and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. For support in your journey, go to my website, lucasmack.com.